coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. Welcome, once again, ladies and gentlemen, to Buzzed on Movies. I'm Teddy. And I'm Matt. And today we're here to talk to you about a bunch of different things, but mostly about two movies in particular, those being VHS 94 and Dune, both recent releases, one streaming, one in theaters, and both very interesting. Yes. It's very exciting. But before that, let's just talk a little bit loosely about what we've been doing recently what we've been seeing at the movies, you know, as we do. Other things, yeah. Other things. We always want to start with other things because... I love other we, things. If this podcast is under an hour and a half long, a man will come to our door <laughs> and shoot us in the head. <laughs> that is a... Probably that is, true. I feel like that's the problem. I feel like that's like... That is a real problem. fact that I've just incorporated into the lore of this um, podcast. I don't know if you know, folks, but that's a real thing. Um, I actually have simple... a really exciting story. <laughs> Um, okay, go so for it. Let yeah. me start first. Um, thanks to Letterboxd, shout out to Letterboxd, I went to a free screening of Jim Cummings' new movie, The Beta Test. Um, oh, yeah. New, yeah. Um, it was at the IFC Center here in New York, um, and I was in an auditorium of mostly Letterboxd users, which was very <laughs> fucking funny. Um, that was a, a specifically was like, New York it's, Letterboxd yeah. users. Yeah, I was like, I could look at these people and I was like, oh, fuck yeah. These people use Letterboxd. <laughs> um, like, um, listen, that was awesome. Like, like, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. They emailed me. I was like, hey, you've been selected. Sign up for this thing and you might be selected. You had to, They emailed you and then you had to sign up and then they were like, and then it's first come first serve. So like you have to be selected again based on if you like responded to the email. Um, they sent the email at like six in the morning. I responded at like eight 30. So um, clearly it worked for me. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. And his new movie was pretty good. I don't know if you've seen other Jim Cummings movies like Thunder Road and um, the Wolf of Snow mm-hmm. Hollow. Yeah, um, I've seen Thunder Road. He really likes to make movies about like, questionable men that's his thing like men mm-hmm. who are like on the verge of a breakdown um beta test is definitely no exception there um <laughs> um it was pretty fun i really liked it i thought it was pretty good um i've had some friends who didn't like it as much but i really liked it um so yeah that was like a really fun like free experience i got and the ifc center is a really cool theater in new york um it's in the eh, i guess it's sort of like in the west village um it's over by it's on like fourth street um so um yeah it's it's a pretty cool theater it's like still like old school like you know you just go and get like a little thing of popcorn and that's it like you don't there's no like you know like fancy beer or anything like that um so yeah it's a pretty cool experience that was the the biggest thing that's happened to me since we last recorded that was pretty cool um, I don't know why Letterboxd emailed me and I was like, oh, I'm going to get there and I'm going to tell them my name and they're going to be like, that's not real. But <laughs> it turned out it was real, um, which was super cool. So I got to see that movie for free. Although I did, I mean, I bought, if you invite me to a movie for free, I'm going to buy concessions. So I did buy concessions. But Right. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I do love a free movie experience. Yeah, I, I used to um, sign up for promo screenings 
Um, there, there's like a few different lists you can get on at least, you know, I can't remember like how long this must've been almost 10 years ago now when I was signing up for these things in, in DC and there's like different lists you can get on where they'll send you like every time there's a promo screen, they're always at like weird times. So it's like, if you're available, you got to show up like and get in line and like the first, however many people get in until they can fill the theater. And uh, it was an interest. I saw a couple movies like a month before they came out that way. But like nice. a free screening is always a great thing. Um, yeah. That must have been a lot of fun. It was really fun. And the audience actually really had a good time. Like there was a lot of laughing. Um, Jim Cummings is a he his movies are usually darkly comedic. Like, you know, they're not yeah. like so th- I, there was a lot of laughs in the theater. I think people seem to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. So definitely check out the beta test. I think it was only showing in like 25 theaters when I saw it. Maybe it'll have a bigger release. I have no idea. Um, his movies don't usually get a big release, but um, yeah, um, it's definitely not showing around here, but uh, I will look out for it where, wherever it's available. He's really good in it. I mean, he really, it's almost uncanny how way, how well he plays the like man having a masculine crisis breakdown. Like, I'm like, did you like, did you experience this? Is this like a real thing that you've been through? Because like you do it really well. That's a um, big part of Thunder Road as well. Yeah. It's, like, a, it's a big part of um, the beta test. The beta. Te- so the plot of the beta test is like, it's like this guy who's like a Hollywood agent in LA. You know, I fucking love a movie in LA. Um, of course. Um, so, um, he, but like he's like engaged and he very clearly doesn't really care about his like engagement um but he gets a, a purple letter it's like in a purple envelope and it's like hey you've been invited to come to a, a no strings attached sexual encounter which i gotta say is very funny as a queer man like that's just like every other day <laughs> it's just a tuesday yeah. for you. <laughs> like i'm like okay this is like a big thing for this guy but for me it's like that's just like i get invited to like no strings attached sex encounters like regularly um the like, horrors yeah, okay. of het life man this yeah, is like it, this was like um it's like tom cruise in um uh, um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> shut right here um oh i, I fucking that's love what eyes. fidelio yeah i love eyes wide shut we should oh, someday talk about eyes wide shut um, i love that movie maybe maybe movie. it's a good christmas movie maybe it we'll is talk a, about it's a that great christmas, christmas movie um totally we should i mean we haven't really talked about kubrick so that would be like a good anyway um beyond that um so like this movie definitely has an inherent critique of like heterosexual monogamy this movie definitely feels critical of of that which is really interesting Mm -hmm. and really cool um because you know a lot of movies a lot of movies like sort of start out critical and then are like, Oh, and like actually in the end, it's okay. If as long as you love one another. Um, but like this movie actually felt like even by the end, it was like, it was still critical of heterosexual monogamy. And I was like, that's cool. I like that. Um, because also, I'm yeah. critical of heterosexual monogamy. <laughs> um, so, uh, like this, um, he like gets his letter and he like decides to go through with the anonymous encounter. Um, and it, it eats him alive. Like he, like basically he thinks the person who like you're blindfolded for the encounter and he thinks she sees him, but he doesn't really see her. And so he spends the whole movie being like, who is she? And that's like the movie. Like, it's like, he's like, who is she? Yeah. Literally it's the meme. It's, it's who is she? Um, so he's like (laughs) trying to figure out who it is. Um, but among other things, there's all sorts of other things. It's like, 
But anyway, it's called the beta test. So as you can imagine, there's like a technological aspect mm-hmm. to all of this. Um, so, you know, yeah, um, it was good. I would I would encourage you to check it out when you can. And he's just yeah. like, he's so good at that character. I don't fucking get it. Like, I wonder if he like used to be that guy and went to therapy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It does. It does seem like he, he has a type that he keeps going for. It's like, I, I don't know whether it's somebody he knew or something he's Snow working Hollow through was a little bit different like he wasn't quite as like frantic and his like crumbling masculinity in the wolf of snow hollow but it was still sort of that it was like a cop who like was inept at his job and like was feeling stressed about it like while also hunting yeah. down a werewolf so like <laughs> he does like to take on cop roles as well i mean we, he does yeah. i feel like he has a certain this movie has a certain feeling towards cops too. He definitely has a certain feeling towards cops. And if you've seen Halloween Kills, he plays a cop in that movie. Yes. Well, we just talked. We talked yeah. about that on the, on the Halloween Kills episode. Also, also, by the way, I was watching recently a a movie on Netflix that I actually it wasn't a Netflix, it was some <laughs> streaming site that I've been meaning to get through to for a long time, sheerly based off of the like the way that it's presented on streaming sites. It's called 13 Cameras. It's like a super oh, yeah. low budget horror. And I've seen the trailer. I know the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just like there's this this landlord who's like put a bunch of hidden cameras in his tenant's house (laughs) and like, (laughs) and the landlord is like really weird and creepy looking and like all the promotional images that they use on the streaming services are just this guy's face. (laughs) And it's like, do you want this guy watching you go to the bathroom? It's like, okay, probably not, but I don't want anyone watching. (laughs) Of course. But but Jim Cummings has a role in that movie, and I had no idea until he shows up like twenty minutes in or something. I was like, "Oh my god!" This was like <laughs> right after I'd seen Halloween Kills. So I was like, "He, Jim Cummings is everywhere." He is. No, it's like a weird thing. Like he is literally everywhere, and like once you know who he is, especially if you watch a, like a lot of genre movies, he even though his movies aren't specifically horror he seems to show up in a lot of horror like it's like yeah a genre that he clearly is drawn towards and i i mean i think if you've seen thunder road if you've seen wolf of snow hollow if you've seen the beta test it's even obvious in the way he directs like he's obviously drawn towards horror um yeah but well i think also he's very pro like independent film and a lot of independent film starts with horror too yeah like his uh, we follow him at least i follow him on twitter and (laughs) yeah um he's always like super like gung-ho about like getting out there and making independent movies and stuff and uh, i believe that beta test is supposed to be his like sort of hit piece on hollywood and like pushing back on the very much a hollywood yeah (laughs) that is very true um (laughs) it's it's an interesting movie i think it's pretty good i think um you know i encourage people to check it out um at the very least, even if you don't like it, it's it's sort of like it's grappling with ideas, which is like kind of nice. Sometimes it's nice to see a movie that's like talking about ideas. There aren't a ton of those. Um. <laughs> yeah, especially these days, you know, yeah. um, you got to You got to go. You, you got to look far to, to get the movies that, that really say something. These days. Yeah. Agreed. 
agreed. But yeah, so that was like my big theater experience of the of the, in recent memory. So like other not, I mean, I have other movies I've seen non theater experience, but that was my big theater experience. So if you have a theater experience, you should bring it up. Um, I do have one question though. How many pieces of A twenty four merch did you see while you were at the screening? Actually, quite a bit. Uh, so like. <laughs> That's what you get when you go to a letterbox screening. Like everybody's yeah. fucking like an A twenty four stand. Like I was like sitting next to people and they're like, hmm. I was like, oh my god. Like I'm like surrounded by you people. Um, listen, that's great. Good for them. Um, good for them. I don't begrudge them. But like, I feel I just felt like it was like a very. It was definitely like a crowd of like vaguely pretentious people. Like they were just like. They would like talk about movies and they would all just be like, oh, 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 Ridley Scott. <laughs> I don't know. Like Ridley Scott comes to mind, I guess, because I'm thinking about House of Gucci, which is coming out soon. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, like everybody was sort of like in this like weird, pretentious headspace the whole time there. And I was like, you don't need to one up me. Like, you don't need to pretend you're super pretentious. We all got invited to this for free, I think. Like, I feel like everybody here is... I mean, not everybody. There were some very old people in that theater, and I was like, they they are not on Letterboxd. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the extremely old people were not on Letterboxd. Um, but the rest of the people, I really do think they were all like our age, if I had to say. Uh, um, and it was a, it's a fun part. I mean, I don't know if like Jim Cummings, like, I think he partnered with them, but like, I, I don't really know. I don't know. It was super cool. It was it was very cool. I don't it, so like the perks of living in New York. I don't know. Like like there are, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just like this is like sometimes when you live in New York City, things happen and it's like you can go to this for free and I'm like, "Why?" Okay. Well, speaking of Ridley Scott, actually, uh <laughs> this is going to be uh a segue uh theater report and a movie review all in one. Um, I saw the last duel recently. Um, That's a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He directed that. Um, also directed house Gucci coming out soon. Right. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I saw that recently and wanted to touch on it because it's left the theaters in most places. I think at this point, um, but that was very interesting. I caught the last screening of that in my area, uh, which I've done a couple times now because I was like, oh, crap, this is leaving. And it's always like a Wednesday night. Yeah. <laughs> but because everything changes th on Thursdays now. So, yeah. Yeah. So here I am seeing um, Last Duel at 930 on a Wednesday. And I expected it to be completely empty, but there was probably like 10 people there which is pretty good. Um, this movie has been not performing all too well at the box office, but I thought it was fantastic. It I was, was I think it's gotten good reviews though. And like people have liked it. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's gotten pretty great reviews. Uh, it's just like, it's very, very well shot, very beautiful, like costumes and the settings and everything look amazing. The what stood out to me like right away were the battle scenes, like especially seeing this in a theater. Um, 
just like these medieval battle scenes, you can like feel every like sword hit and every like stab and everything. Like it, it makes it like pretty gruesome. Some of this fight and, uh, the movie ends of course with, with a duel. Um, and the duel is pretty gruesome as well. So that's very interesting. I also like, I like the, the overall format of the movie is kind of like Rashomon, you know, like different people's perspectives telling okay. the same story. And you can see how each one is like different in subtle ways. So you can see how their perspective warps their story. And I, I just, I thought that was really good. I thought the overall story was very interesting. Uh, it's based on the last duel that took place in France uh, in the middle ages mm-hmm as a the last trial by combat pretty much and um it was over a uh, a knight whose wife was raped by uh, a squire like uh, who was a friend of his and or a former friend of his like they have a very complicated relationship and um i just like very interesting. Uh, I love the like the history of all of it, and the it just was was a very unusual watch. Not the sort of thing that gets made nowadays, you know. Right. It's very rare that you see a movie like this in theaters, and I was very interested to see that. Nice. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty good. I definitely want to see it. Um, it might be a a home release by the time I do, but I do want to see it. Yeah. I think I think this would definitely work on the small screen as well. There was just like that extra added element for some of the the fight scenes that I was like, like I was seriously like cringing at some of the hits in those scenes. Like I was like, oh, my God. Nice. It's crazy. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I love when a movie actually makes you feel something. Anything else you've seen recently that you uh, feel strongly about? That we're not going to talk about. Don't, don't. Now, um, other than that, you know, it's just been, you know, we, we passed through Halloween already, but I've been, I've been still putting in some time watching the horror movies. Um, yeah, I've watched most of Hall- Halloween itself for me was a lot of fun. I went to the Alamo Draft House for the first time in almost two years which is really something I haven't been to one either. I need to go. I need to, there's one right by my office now. I need to go. Yeah. Really and they opened up, a, they opened up a new one. Yeah. So you got to check that place out. My coworkers literally tell me about it. They're like, Matt, I heard the Alamo opened up a new place. Have you been yet? And I'm like, I love that my coworkers know me as like somebody who would go to the Alamo. <laughs> and also, no, I have not been. Um, <laughs> oh no. Uh, I will will soon though I think I'm going to sign up for the uh, it's $30 a month here in New York for uh, for the Alamo unlimited thing Um, I think I'm going to sign up I think I'm going to do it I think I'm going to I think I'm going to do AMC and Alamo wow have both yeah Yeah. you're going to be going to the movies all the time well I already go to the I mean on average I go to an AMC twice a week and then pay for a movie twice a week like i'll go to like the nighthawk and an out you know like 
it's like worth it. For, like I already pay for a movie a couple times a week and like the Alamo will help me alleviate that because like I usually I go to like a, a specialty screening. Like I'll be like, oh, they're doing their like weird 90s horror night and I'll go. Yeah. yeah so like Alamo, if I can go to one of the Alamo, one of the two Alamo, Alamo locations by me, that'll help me because I'll, I'll go to their weird specialty screenings yeah. instead. So I, I feel like it's actually, ultimately it's worth it for me. Um, and unfortunately for the Nighthawk, I will definitely choose the Alamo over the Nighthawk if I have their, <laughs> their, their, their thing. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the past is hard to argue with. Not every uh, time I will still go to the Nighthawk for, um, midnight screenings. I feel very strongly about the Nighthawk midnight screenings. Um, those look so good. Yeah, um, I'm so excited. I'm going to be able to go to a fucking midnight screening of Black Christmas for the first time in like two years this oh year. My oh my God. God. <laughs> and you know, I love Black Christmas. I, like, oh, yes. I haven't seen it at midnight in so long. I'm super excited. I like, I keep thinking about it already. I'm like, oh my God, this year I'm going to a Black Christmas midnight screening. Because um, yeah. I know they're going to do one. They're obviously going to do one. Um, R.I.P. our planned uh, Black Christmas screening at Sun Cinema. <laughs> Yeah, that night I worked super late. Um, oh rip! Yeah. But um, yeah, so so I I did go for one of the specialty screenings at Alamo. Uh, I saw the Dismember the Alamo program this year, which I've been to a couple times before. This year is a little bit different. Um, you know, they didn't have it last year because of COVID, and this year when they announced it, I was like, oh my god, like we have to go. There's no way that we can miss this now that we've, we've waited like two years now for another one. Um, this one was only two movies this year. It's usually four, but hmm. still a lot of fun. They showed uh boarding house, which hmm. is this terrible eighties movie that was shot on video and then transferred to film for showing in theaters which oh is <laughs> the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. I've never heard of another movie that did that. Um, but yeah, it was terrible, but like in a fun way, it was just like, <laughs> it was one of those, one of those really badly made movies that like the scenes end like 30 seconds before you think they're going to, it's like, Oh, okay. That was, that was the end of that scene, I guess. Uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, like an hour and a half of that. Like every scene ended like that. It was very strange. Nice. Very weird, funny horror movie. Um, And then the second movie was Bubba Hotep, which um, is much more modern, much better made movie, uh, which I'd never seen before. And I've been meaning to get around to for years. So I was glad to see that. That's the movie that's about... uh, a guy who's supposedly Elvis it's it's kept a little ambiguous in the movie but Elvis who like actually did not die in the 70s and is like in a retirement home and then like a mummy is coming and like sucking the souls out of the people in the retirement home he he and a guy who claims to be John F Kennedy have to fight back against the mummy um well, you know that's life happens. yeah you know, sometimes that happens. You just have to beat the mummy that's sucking the souls out of people around you. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Really cool. Uh, yeah, Bruce Campbell's in it, and there was a like a uh, the Alamo had like a little interview thing with Bruce Campbell and the director that showed after the movie. So that was kind of cool too. And 
you know, the Alamo has like the, the fun pre-show and the, the stuff that plays during the intermission for their double mm-hmm. features. So that was a really good experience. Like it's been so long since I've been to an Alamo showing, especially one that's like so quintessentially Alamo like that. So I was really glad to get to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm definitely I'm looking forward to my first experience back at the Alamo. It's been it's been way too long. Um, yeah. So a little jealous of that. A little jealous. <laughs> but I have been to the Nighthawk and the Syndicated a few times, so I can't be but so jealous. But Yeah, Nighthawk has good stuff too. Yeah. The syndicated too. You've been to the syndicated. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love syndicated. The syndicated is such an interesting kind of theater with like the way that it's inside the bar and you know, yeah, syndicated is more of a bar than a theater. I think, I mean, they only, they have one auditorium and they show, you know, one movie at a time. Um, but yeah, I really love the syndicated. So I've been there more since COVID. I think, I mean, because I, I went there for a bunch of like the Oscars movies. They showed, oh, yeah. Um, especially the shorts. They showed a bunch of the shorts, and so I would go. Um, but I think I saw all of the shorts there. It's possible. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and here I was renting them from E Street remotely. Well, that's still like you have to pay for them, so whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather see them in person. I'm hoping hoping that this time around we'll get to do that uh Um, i think that's i think it's likely that this time we'll have a quote-unquote normal oscars experience um i I think that everything's going to be back to normal this time for better or for worse i don't want to comment on if that's good or bad (laughs) but um, yeah i do think it'll be back to pretty much normal you'll be able to see the the shorts in theaters etc etc yeah that'll be good so um I think we've covered covered uh, our general stuff. Why don't we move on to um, to our main topics of discussion tonight? And first, let's talk about VHS ninety four. All um, right, we've been waiting for this one for a while since it was first announced. Um, this. Um, it was very fun to see this released right around Halloween and to get to to watch it while we were, you know, in the mood for Halloween type movies. Yes. And um, we've covered we've covered VHS stuff before. So I was very glad to get to see another installment. Yes. This one, um, this one has the, the premise of <laughs> what is this? Hold on. So. What makes it VHS 94? Like, well, I think this it's is... set in the 90s. I think it's actually happening in the 90s, right? Okay. Um, so this is this is the first one to actually be like these are all like from the era of actual VHS tapes. I think yeah, I think all so I think all of the videos are from the era of VHS tapes. I don't want to comment on what the wraparound story is. The wraparound story might be more recent. Um Right. But it's actually yeah, hard to say. I, I actually don't know that the wraparound story is either. Like, I, I there's nothing in the wraparound story that makes it. There's nothing in the wraparound that makes it like obvious that it must be more recent. You know what I mean? Like, it's just right. like we make stories of like we make videos of people like 
basically it's like these girls being like, we make snuff films like that could happen in. I mean, that could have happened in the 90s. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, So, like, I don't really want to comment on that. But like the, the videos themselves all definitely seem to be 90s. I mean, literally all of them feel like 90s films. The like the weird news thing, the, the weird wake, the the weird robo nightmare, like. Oh, God. The vampire. Like, I don't know. So. Okay. So let's talk about that wraparound story. Um, the the wraparound story called Holy Hell is um, framed around like a, a police raid. And the, the, the SWAT team has cameras on them, which I, I'm not. Again, th- this makes it kind of vague because it's like, I don't know if they had like body camera. Well, yeah, actually, no, no, no. This, this might be what makes it like a nineties thing. Cause I don't think there are body cameras that are filming this. I think it's like, they have people along with actual cameras. Yeah. I don't think it's body cameras. I think you're right about that. Yeah. That's not so if, like cause if you were, if you were going to do this with like a modern police team, it, they would obviously all just be body cameras. But uh, yes. I think they do actually have people along with like big camcorders, the, the kind that take a full VHS tape, which if, if you've ever right. seen one of those, it's a big fucking camera. Um, I have one. I literally physically own one. I have you have one. you have a camcorder that takes a full VHS tape yep, right now? I do. I literally what, have one. Why do you have that? Well, I had it growing up. So growing up, I filmed a lot of videos. I was like growing up, I was the kid who was like, I want to film the family videos. And so like at family events, at Thanksgivings, at birthdays, at Christmases, I shot the like the videos. That was yeah. me. And so like it was like my it was one of my really early birthdays. They my family gave me like a camcorder. So Wow. Yeah. I mean you've held on to that. Um yeah, my well, family I held had... on to it because it became a thing. Like right. you know, as as vhs quickly phased out i was like oh i should i should keep this um (laughs) wow yeah my family had a whole like the vhs camcorder and then they we had like the dv tape ones and like we had a a a wide variety of those but i i believe that all of those were gotten rid of in the big move out um i certainly don't have those anymore to be clear my my family has never moved my family's lived in the same house since i was one years old so they still live there so there's never been a move where like big things had to be gotten rid of Uh, that's just never happened so yeah see that's nice Um, maybe maybe i would still have that to this day yeah i Um, I think that makes a big difference here like (laughs) I, i do have a couple of old digital cameras but not not anything like that that is enormous all of my um, old video cameras still exist and so i do think a big part of that is just because like my parents never moved so like they just like all just like my old bedroom is still where it has been since i was like two years old so oh that that's so cool yeah i've been thinking a lot recently about like you know we got rid of the cameras but i'm sure that my mom still has a lot of old vhs tapes and like videotapes and stuff of various formats from over the years of like decades of family events and travels and stuff like that and i'm like we need to digitize that stuff as soon as possible yeah everyone out there please digitize your media uh, preserve it because we're gonna like there's gonna be an unprecedented level of loss of uh 
media that takes place over the next couple decades because of people yeah. not preserving this kind of stuff. It's just a side note there. No, well, <laughs> but, it's true, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but anyway, <laughs> this, this frame story here, uh, it's like, it's a police raid and it's a raid on like what they think is like a bunch of drug runners, but it soon turns out to be like this crazy cult that's like based around VHS tapes. They like, they, they keep like going through rooms full of people like passed out with vacant stairs and like uh, old tapes playing on the TVs or even just static sometimes. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's, it fits the theme so perfectly. And it's like, it's kind of like a, an escalation of what we saw from the frame story in the first one yeah. where it's like, you know, the, the, the frame story was based around like some old dude who had just like a crazy collection of VHS tapes. Um, this one is like, there's a whole cult that apparently worships VHS to some extent. So that like that, that's pretty cool. That's very thematic. And uh, we get to see that story progress throughout the movie um and as as various police officers get killed off and we eventually <laughs> figure out that two of them are members of the cult and that they're producing snuff films and that like the last police officer is going to be the subject of one of these films right so that was very cool yeah i, I um, think that wraparound here is actually pretty interesting i mean it's kind of ridiculous and like every time it like zooms in on TV screen, it's like, Oh, and now we're watching another VHS. It's kind of funny, but like it kind of works. I mean, I feel like the film itself is kind of ridiculous. Like the segments are kind of like fucked up, but like, they're like pretty over the top. Um, so, you know, I felt like it worked. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is one of the more like absurd installments in the VHS franchise. Now, I think this, I think this VHS <sighs> installment benefited from being like a like they knew there was no chance of a, a theatrical release. They knew that it was yeah. just going to get like a shutter release. Like, I think it really benefit. I mean, I'll, I'll lay my cards on. I really like this movie. Um, yeah, like I I think that. I think it really benefited from just like not trying to appeal to a general audience, which I do think some early VHS movies did. I mean, and I like all of the VHS movies. There's not a single one I I dislike. Um, Even when I think some are weaker, I I think that they're trying something, which I, I think is worth commending in horror. Um, but like this one, I like, I just felt like it was like trying something. And I, I also thought it mostly succeeded. And I felt like it, it didn't feel like it was being held back by being like, we've got to be like palatable to like a general audience. Like this was like, we're going to be watched by horror fans. That's who's going to watch this movie. The and sort so, of people who subscribe to a standalone horror streaming service. Right. Like, I, I mean, but like, that's important. Like, I do feel like some of the earlier VHS movies, like were trying to appeal to like any horror fan. And like, sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, but in this one, it was just sort of like every, like, I don't think there was a single segment here where I was like, 
this is trying to be like generic horror. This was like, it was like trying to appeal no. to people who like watch horror. Like, right. Every piece of this was like aggressively weird yeah. and like trying to do something like completely off the wall. And I, I felt like it really worked. Like VHS as a franchise, like every, every movie it really depends on like how even the segments are like, cause mm-hmm. some of them, like even the, the ones that I don't like as much will have like one or two really great segments. But yep. this is the first one I've seen that I feel like, like the segments across the board were pretty even. Like they were all like, like they, they were segments from other ones that I like more than some segments from here. But I feel like the, the overall level of the segments on this was higher than like, any of the other ones i just felt like they were all really good yeah i still feel like this was like a movie in which like basically every segment like i don't know like there was like this idea that like every segment in this movie was like you know you had like the, the the newscasters like who are like we're just gonna go report on this thing that's happening in the storm drain and then you had like the girls like i'm just gonna watch over this wake like it's gonna be fine and then you had people like we have this subject who's clearly a dangerous monster but we're just gonna like watch over it and everything's gonna be just fine and then you had this one where it's like oh just watch these like these weird science experiment experiments and everything's gonna be fine it's like it was like this idea of like control like every single one of these was like you have control over the situation and then that goes completely completely wrong like no none of the lead characters in this movie had care had control over the situations they were supposed to and i feel like it was like one of the first ones where like there was like a sort of like thematic through line between all of the the segments like all of them were like even like the wraparound story was like the cops who like thought they were like investigating this this situation with all of these tapes and this cult they ended up getting bested by people within their own squad because like they just like didn't have control of the situation like like every single one of these segments comes down to like people thinking yes i've got this i can go do this i'm gonna do it and then it's like oh fuck like (laughs) actually (laughs) there's like a giant rat god or actually like the undead is coming out of this coffin or actually this is a vampire so i can't fucking just do whatever the fuck i want like i don't know like every single one of these can sort of be boiled down to like uh, people thinking they had some sort of control and power that they just fucking didn't have like um and like that's not usual for this franchise like i i do feel like there was like a sort of thematic like constant in this which was like really nice like that was actually kind of like interesting i thought it was fun to see like that concept explored from different angles and like like some of them were like you know there was one who was like a bunch of right wing like basically nazis i mean they're not real but like i mean they are they're like i mean they're like trump voting nazi freakazoids like well they're like they're they're sort of um uh they're they're sort of like in the vein of like ruby ridge and like timothy mcveigh those sort of like hard right extremist terrorists yes Yes. but they said things at times that were like clearly meant to like parallel to the the trump experience but like um you know um yeah and they like they thought they like had control of this weird vampire thing and that just like did not work out for them and but then there were times where it's like 
where it's not really meant to be that way. It's like just like news people who are just like doing their job and they're just like, we're going to go into this storm drain and we're going to report on this situation. And then it turns out they just like fucking can't do this. Like, <laughs> like the whole, the like the, the, the through line of the entire thing is like people getting in way over their heads very we're, quickly. They're, they're all <laughs> way over their heads and they all think that like they are in a position of authority in these situations. Like, like, you know, like, like newscasters think they go into situations where they're like, I'm just the news person. I'm the news person. And we're I am a news person. Them. Everyone. It's okay. Yeah. And like, yeah. but like, it's not fine. Like you're talking to Ratma. Like he's mad. <laughs> I don't know what he's mad about. I have no idea, but he looks like a scary elongated human head thing. We need to and be like, concerned about Ratma. We should all like, honestly, I don't know why the Republicans aren't talking about Ratma. <laughs> like they're all talking about critical race theory. To- about Ratma. I don't give a shit about critical race theory, but I do give a shit about Ratma. And I think the Republicans should talk about Ratma. Like, I would vote against Democrats for Ratma. So if if the Republicans can talk about that. Anti-Ratma party. Okay, I will so, vote anti-Ratma. That's all so I'll let's, say. Let's talk about Ratma. This is yeah. the uh, the first segment, which is yeah. called Storm Drain. We should also be clear that Ratma is like clearly like the 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 like has been like the 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 breakout role of this movie. <laughs> breakout like, character. Ratma but has been like a big thing ever since most, the movie came out. The most likely to get a spin-off yeah. series from this. I fucking, yes. Like Ratma is like the siren of that first VHS movie. <laughs> like you know that girl with the eyes. Oh, you know yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. You know the one. Yeah. Um, the one that uh in that segment directed by the guy who made uh Was it the Ty Night West House. or Adam Wingard? It was like one of those two, right? Like No, no, no. Guys. It was the guy who made the Night House um wasn't who was that that was oh my god that's the guy who did the ritual um yes yeah 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 um not ty west or adam wingard but like in that vein of horror let's be clear they're all like yes i mean obviously, i would yeah, be surprised if those people don't go drink wine together on a friday night like david those, bruckner by the yeah, way to give him are, full credit those are all but, friends those i mean yeah are, yeah david bruckner well, is friends with ty west and adam wingard, what but. i what i think is so interesting about these movies is they do sort of like reveal like a collective of like low budget and independent horror filmmakers who usually go on to make bigger and better things. Uh, Like David Bruckner is going to make the next Hellraiser movie, which is um, super cool. Super exciting. He's going to be fucking great at it. Yeah. He's going to be awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And we've already Um, seen a couple of great features out of him too, between the ritual and the night house. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be very God, interesting. I can't wait for a, for a Hellraiser movie. Um, anyway, um, whew, I love Hellraiser. So, yes. Um, yeah. So, um, Storm Drain, um, this segment is all about, it, it, and it's presented in the form of both a, a newscast, which is cut in between like tapes filmed from a news crew that clearly never saw daylight. Um, but it, it's, it's all about like a reporter and her cameraman who like go down to explore the legend of Ratma, the rat man that lives in the sewers. And they're trying to film it as like this human interest piece, how like it's actually about like how like there's, there's homeless people who are living in the sewers and like the, the people are suffering and all that. If they make her actually like go into the sewers to film this stuff. And at first she's like very against that, but like as she starts to discover more in the sewers, she starts to be like, "Oh, well, like there, there may be a real story here. This could make my career." But things rapidly go off the rails as she yeah. discovers this this cult living in the sewers that is devoted to Ratma. 
who is very real as we find out. <laughs> and in this scene where people, the cameraman is ritualistically sacrificed to this rat man that comes out of the st- sewer drain, <laughs> which yeah. Like that's the scene. Like the the just the image of him coming out of that drain is so unsettling. Like this was a really top notch creature effect. It was really um, fucking good. It this looks was, so yeah. fucking creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so I was this, I watched this like the night it like got dropped on Shutter. Like it was like the you know it, it was like midnight on a Thursday. I watched it Friday right after work, and I was just sitting in my apartment like my shades drawn so the sunlight was, wasn't coming through and i was just like what the fuck like <laughs> this <laughs> thing is is man? happening right now that thing was scary rotmel was frightening um it's very unsettling yeah, and Rotmel he does some really good <laughs> he does some freaky stuff too like he's apparently got some sort of like excretion like i don't know it's like a vomit or something that he like spits up onto people it's like some weird black bile i don't really know what it is but But it's like (laughs) it's very weird because it seems to like completely dissolve like the people who don't belong but like some people it doesn't affect so that's like what the cult is like based around is like the people who don't get affected by the bile are like the true followers or something yeah yeah uh (laughs) it's just it's so fucking weird but i love it and like i definitely want to see more of ratma and this ratma cult yeah, I, I don't know what kind of movie could be filmed around ratma but i would love to see like a full-length movie about ratma like I, I feel like it'd be really bad but like i'd love to see it like yes. i would definitely watch it and i would i would go to the amc and i would pay money you know? <laughs> i would see this in public yeah i would love to see the Ratma movie but okay so let's talk about the empty wake Okay. And um, you should note that this was written and directed by Simon Barrett, who has worked on multiple VHS films before. Yes. Um, he wrote the the frame story for the first one, Tape 56, and produced. And he was also like he, he was on screen for that because that was the one where like pretty much all the people in that – uh frame story were like filmmakers yes. who were playing the part of filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> Very meta segment that one. Um but he also wrote and directed Tape 49, which was the segment uh the frame story for VHS2. Mm-hmm. And he also wrote um another segment of VHS2 uh phase one clinical trials and <laughs> He also wrote the sick thing that happened to Emily when she was younger, which is a segment from VHS one. So the sick thing that happened to happened to Emily. I remember Uh, phase one clinical trials. Is that the one with the eye implants where he's like, what, what is that one? Okay. Hold up. Um, Phase one clinical trials. Uh, Yeah, yeah. When the camera is fitted into an ocular implant. Yeah, okay. okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I can never, like, every time I think about that segment, which I remember well, I can't remember if it's um, Black Mirror or... (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's similar. It's similar, right? I feel like VHS two is the one I remember the least, just because VHS viral was had like so many more memorable segments. VHS two was the one with um, the other one by the guy who does the subject, right? Timo Tajanto. Timo, yeah. The the like, Indonesian cult segment because because that is an extra. That's like that's got to be like top three most memorable vhs oh yeah yeah for me like that's just as a segment that was like one of the best ones so as a result that entire vhs is kind of memorable to me because like that one is just like fucking i mean that's like that that's like peak vhs that's what vhs is for absolutely so fucking good and and by the way uh and this this particular installment of VHS really delivers on this concept, but I feel like what VHS has proved more than anything right now is that cults are really, really fertile ground for found yeah, footage. Absolutely. Um, and that Indonesian segment from VHS two was the first good example, but there's both the frame story and the Ratma story in this one are based around cults and, like um, it works really I well. I would argue that the vampire one is true. Also about cults. Yeah, that yeah. is also a cult of of in, in a way. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I also like whenever I talk about or think about these these segments, I also think about there was a found footage version of like the Jonestown story made. Are you a talking about the sacrament? Uh, sacrament? Yes, the sacrament. Man. This is so funny because a friend of the pod and I watched that over like I went to Baltimore for like a couple of weekends before Halloween and we went to we've talked about this in the pod. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we watched the sacrament um, while I was down there. Um, I'd seen it before, but she had not. Um, it was just sort of like a let's put something on while we have like a drink or two. Um, yeah. I actually kind of like that movie though. I like that that Jonestown story. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's pretty, pretty fine, and that's written and directed by Ty West, who Ty of West, course yeah, yeah. has worked on the VHS movies, and Joe yeah. Swanberg plays a role in that movie yeah. as well. The one thing we need though is Eli Roth needs to show up in one of these VHS movies. Yeah, Eli somewhere. Roth is involved in um, the Sacrament. He's like the producer. Um, yeah, he produced that movie. Um. Yeah, Eli Roth should be in one of these VHS movies. I actually think, I mean, I love Eli Roth. I actually think he would do really well at like short films and segments. I I feel like sometimes one of the biggest problems with his movies are that they like are concepts that shouldn't be dragged out to full length. Yeah. So like, I, I actually think he would like, if he would just like, I feel like he doesn't want to do this sort of thing, but I feel like he would give himself the grace to do this sort of thing. It would work out really well for him. It would be great. He would be a very big name to be in one of these things, but it would be so cool to see him do. And um, his but segment he's not so big that it would be like weird. Cause just cause like yeah. all of his big name credits are like genre work. Like he'd be, it'd be like fine. Like, yeah, no, he, nobody he, he, would be like, oh, that's weird. Everybody would he be like, fits oh, wow. in with this company, <laughs> but, definitely. Yeah. And his segment of uh, 2007's Grindhouse, where he directed one of the fake trailers, was yeah. uh, definitely memorable. His yes. his trailer for Thanksgiving with the Thanksgiving themed slasher was so good. awesome. 
So that shows you what he can do in a short format like that. I think he would do great with the found footage thing. And um, there's elements. I feel like you can see elements of what it might be like in Green Inferno. Yeah. Like okay. if he did if he did something like that, but found footage, that would that would work really well. Yeah, I think so. That movie is a lot. Green Inferno. That, that's oh yeah. Um, I mean, basically, Green Inferno is basically the unfound footaging of Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, basically. So, like, basically, I'm just saying I want to see Eli Roth just actually do cannibal holocaust as a vhs segment i mean basically green inferno was like him being like we're gonna do cannibal holocaust without doing cannibal holocaust yeah um yeah with worse things like you know we had to watch somebody like shit things up in green inferno and i was like i don't need to watch somebody shit but you know he he was like yes you do and i was like okay shitting is horror now i mean it it can be I suppose, yeah. It's also like not necessary. I mean, sometimes it's the opposite of horror, but like <laughs> he tried to make it horror. So, okay. So, Empty Wake, though, <laughs> as we oh, were talking true. about, written and directed by Simon Barrett, <laughs> who's worked on a number of the VHS films before. Um, this is the one that I felt was like the most down to earth, like and and in a way yeah, the most, right, yeah the most scary for me as a result. Like this is the one that I was, I was like, I felt like I might actually be watching like a real footage, even though obviously, you know, (laughs) the things that happen are completely unreal, but this, this one is set in a funeral parlor and it's like the, the conceit of the film is that like the camera is set up to film awake um except nobody shows up so it, mostly it just films um the 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 work the funeral parlor worker just kind of uh sitting around pacing like waiting for anybody to show up um and a mysterious man does show up at one point and mutters some stuff in a mysterious language <laughs> uh which is totally non-concerning there's nothing wrong with that uh and then later the 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 corpse comes to life and uh, like kind of like wrecks havoc throughout the funeral parlor yes it's an it's an interesting piece i feel like i was very confused while i was watching it what it was exactly going for like I just feel like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be like scared. Like I, I just like didn't really know the vibe I was trying to like express. Um, but I, I thought really, it, what? I thought it did a good job of like building suspense for most of it. Like you found out more and more about like how this guy died and like, it was kind of mysterious and weird and like something is very clearly wrong here, but I don't know why, you know? I mean, I still don't feel like I knew why. I mean, I, I feel like maybe one guy who visited, like, was, like, an occult member who was responsible for what, for, like, how this sequence ended. But, like, I'm not totally sure of that. And, like, I like I also, 
I don't think that like the, how the guy died was too upset. It was just like a car accident, right? Like No, no, he he was like he was on the roof of a building and like screaming stuff and then he jumped off. Um and apparently ended up in very bad shape as a result. I don't know um, how I missed all of that. I watched yeah. this movie. <laughs> that was a big part of it. They were the, like, I mean, that like that's part of what's supposed to lead you up to being like this guy died under some kind of weird circumstances because he he was like screaming and like and I don't, I don't remember what exactly they said, but they were like he was saying like weird stuff and then he jumped off. Well, what and, I remember was that like everybody was like. Oh, his body was like a fucking mess. So you oh, yeah. look inside the coffin. That's it what was. I remember. It um, was. And then but but that that that's what leads to like the biggest like jump scare of the whole segment when like she sees him out of the coffin and she's like, Sir, I think there was a mistake. Like they they put you in here by accident. And then he turns and like half of his head is missing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh fuck. That. No, yeah. this is <laughs> This is clearly like this man should be dead and right. uh, apparently is not. I mean, obviously I remember that part. Um, I don't remember <laughs> how, he, how the guy actually died, apparently. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought this was good. I thought it was fun. I mean, it made me never want to work in a like a funeral home. I'll say that. Like, I, I mean, not that I ever wanted to anyway. Um. But it was also sort of like, why did this guy have like the saddest funeral home life? Like, why did nobody want to come to his wake except that one guy? Um, yeah. No, which is like yeah. the question, which is obviously because he was like in some sort of weird cult. But like, you know, like obviously this guy was like in some weird cult where like if you die, you'll come back to life. Like that was that was the cult. But um, that's upsetting. Too bad for them because you're going to come back to life as a fucking loser. But. Yeah, I guess uh, this segment also does kind of imply the existence of yet another cult. Uh, yeah, this is which there's really, a cult in this. yeah, yeah. There's cults just all over the place in this one. Yeah, I don't know. I just like that was that was one of the ones that I felt felt like the most insular. You know, like it all takes place in that one room, pretty much. It felt right. the most like your typical found footage movie where like all the tension comes from just getting a singular point of view and just like waiting for things to happen because you know they're going to. But I, I wouldn't say it was my favorite segment, but it did have its own unique vibes, which were interesting. I think all of them had their own unique vibes, but yes, oh, yeah. I do think that one. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the subject. This one, written and directed by Timo Jahanto. I don't know how to pronounce Indonesian names. I'm sorry, but um, yeah. he also directed that segment of VHS two that we talked about, the one with the cult. Um, this one is so much weirder and freakier. This was this is the one that like probably fucked me up the most watching this one. Like okay. cuz there's there's some extreme body horror in this one. There is that. Yeah. Um Yeah. I agree with that. I also think this is like 
I mean, in a way, this is also still cult horror, like the cult of like technology and advancement. Um, yeah, it, like the 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 scientist is trying to create like a race of superhumans to some extent. So mm-hmm. that's kind of its own sort of cult that he's attempting to create. Um, but yeah, the 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 plot of this one is all about just this like mad scientist who's trying to create superhumans. He's like a, a prosthetics expert, so he's like he, <laughs> trying to create human machine hybrids uh and they're all extremely upsetting in appearance yeah it's like really unfortunate to look at (laughs) you see a bunch of like very graphic mutilations and subsequent like part human machine it's like you know like think about the most upsetting version of robocop (laughs) like that where you get to actually see all of the exposed couplings between machine and human and it's like it's very troubling right <laughs> and like yeah. a lot of a lot of people lying on operating tables and like blood and like severed limbs and stuff so it's all about a police raid on this compound where this guy is building stuff and like how everything goes wrong and most of the cops get shot and there's like, there's this one missing girl whose head has been like replaced with a camera, which I don't even know how you do that. No, it's very upsetting. Um, and like, uh, yeah, I don't even know if like the ending of this is kind of ambiguous. I don't even know like what you can say about, the general narrative of what happens in here other than like a lot of a lot of cops die and a lot of like horrifying creations of this scientist die and the scientist dies as well i mean i feel like that's the main thing i mean i feel like like a lot of scientists die a lot of like the cops who are there to defend the scientists die but I do feel like, you know, some, there's the, I don't know. I, I don't think all characters die. I think some of the good characters like sort of make it out. Right. Yeah. Um, well, at least that, that one girl sort of wanders off at the end to, yeah. you know, to God knows where, but she at least survives somewhat. But it definitely is a little hard to say the the movie or the clip is is definitely very uh there's like a pessimistic atmosphere to it like i i don't think you're supposed to like leave with a lot of hope (laughs) so like even the good guys are like pretty fucked up by the end yeah it is it's very grim the entire thing (laughs) that um yeah that one was an unpleasant watch right. in some many ways. All right. And the last segment of VHS 94 uh, is terror, which we've hinted at a few times. Um, this one is like footage filmed by like a bunch of guys on this compound who are planning some sort of terror attack. And at first it's, kind of vague like how they plan to do this but eventually you figure out 
that like they have a vampire held captive on their compound. And since they figured out that like vampires uh, like get burned by sunlight or something, then vampire blood is basically like a high grade explosive. Mm-hmm. So they can use like a large quantity of vampire blood exposed to sunlight to like blow up a building. So that's their master plan here. But um, keeping the vampire captive turns out to be a lot more complicated than they thought it was going to be. <sighs> needless to say. Well, maybe if they didn't suck at keeping a vampire captive, you know, <laughs> Maybe if they didn't decide to get like blackout drunk the night before their big plan. <laughs> All because they had a success that they expected. Like, yeah. They're like, yes, the test was successful. Let's all get wasted. It's very stupid. <laughs> Including very stupid. the guy who's supposed to be watching the vampire. Yeah. So needless to say, that does not go well. No, and it goes horribly. We get to see the vampire gradually eating everyone. Um, so yeah, that <laughs> one's fun. It's interesting. Like I, I like how it's you know kind of a, a mix of like a political horror film and just like straightforward vampire horror. Right. And yeah, like I said, it's it's uh like the the influences here are very clear like that you know there's very clear references to uh timothy mcveigh and the oklahoma city bombing and like ruby ridge and stuff like that we've got very much that kind of like holdout compound here like planning political violence um they even talk about like oh like they're, they're bombing some sort of government building and they're like oh there's uh there's a daycare there which is yeah that that was a big point in the Oklahoma sitting bombing. These guys not so good at keeping vampires captive. No, um, they suck at it. They're yeah, like they're quite bad at it. They like there's one guy like the leader of them like seems to like has like some sort of religious background that he thinks like you know God is going to protect him from the vampires or whatever. It's like well you know you need to use your own brain to prevent. Right. prevent yourself from the vampires as well uh clearly that doesn't work out no apparently no. not <laughs> vampires still gonna get you but yeah uh so and that's the last segment you know we get the conclusion of the frame story at the end which as we said reveals that this is like a, a big snuff film operation <laughs> which i don't like I guess hints at the fact that they're, you know, they're creating snuff films, but like, are they also watching these non snuff films that happen to feature a lot of death? I don't know. They're, they're like their own faces of death kind of thing. But yeah, um, it was a very interesting installment in the VHS franchise. I think, you know, I think that, I think ultimately it was one of the better ones. I mean, I, it was just like weirder, which is like a good thing for me, you know? Like, yeah, I, I like when things are weirder. I, I liked that this movie was a little bit strange and out there. I don't know. I thought ultimately I liked this VHS more than I had the past couple. So, 
Oh yeah. It was very it was very weird. Every segment was like unique in an unusual way. Right. And it just all fit together really well. It was just it was a very fun watch, especially around Halloween. You mm-hmm. like this is like exactly the sort of thing you're looking for around Halloween. Just yeah. like various different kinds of horror and you got all sorts of different stuff. You got the body horror, you got vampires, you got your weird rat human thing you've got zombies like it's all over the place in all the right ways okay so why don't we talk about dune um dune dune this uh fear is the mind killer do the voice do the voice um (laughs) This is Dune is like one of the biggest blockbusters of this year. Um, already approved for a sequel. This is I great can't to hear. Dune is one of the. You know, it's crazy that we live in a world where Dune is the bigger blockbuster of the year. Um, well, like what else has come out recently? That like I I mean like I the James it, Bond like movie Eternals, wasn't that big. Enough. The Eternals, the like any fucking Marvel movie. Like right, well, you know, I mean, like Marvel always does pretty well. Godzilla, but which got, which is like the blockbuster of the year, right? Like Godzilla yeah. is the one. Uh, well, Godzilla was good. Godzilla was very successful. Um, Eternals, I think Eternals is ultimately going to be pretty successful, but it's not exactly like you know a tier Marvel. It's not another Avengers meetup. Yeah, it's getting negative reviews, which is like blowing everyone's mind. Yeah, <laughs> it actually probably means I'll like it more than a lot of the others. People can't, but... <laughs> I can't decide whether it whether it means I'll like it or not. I was like, I, I mean, I'll probably check it out at some point. I'll definitely just see it. I mean, there's yeah, there's a zero percent chance I won't see it. But um, just like there's so many things out right now. It's definitely not like top of my list, but. I, I'm very happy that Dune is doing as well as it is. Like, yeah, there was there was a lot of fear, like leading up to this. It's like, will the people go and see the high concept sci-fi movie? Because time and time again, um, we've been disappointed by this sort of thing, like the Blade Runner nineteen, not nineteen eighty four. What am I talking? Blade what Blade Runner twenty whatever twenty forty nine twenty forty nine there we are the Blade Runner sequel that was awesome but like barely anybody saw it in theaters I gotta say I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine was kind of boring and so I would rather see Dune than that in I I would I do think Dune was better but Blade Runner twenty forty nine had a lot going for it it was very interesting I would watch it again in theaters it was just like. One of those pure spectacle movies. There was just a lot of really cool stuff going on. But it was like a pure. So, like, for me, my problem with that movie, even though I think it was technically well crafted, like, uh, because I think a lot of the aspects of it were quite well done. I think that, like, I I walked away with a very hollow feeling because I just, like, didn't feel anything from that movie. Mm -hmm. Um,. I can't say that about Dune. I, I feel like I did feel things from Dune. I feel like emotionally I was invested in Dune. I, I, I felt wrapped up in the characters. I wanted them to succeed. Um, so. The one the one bit of emotion that I will defend from Blade Runner 2049 is Dave Bautista's character as the uh, 
one of the replicants that mm-hmm. uh, um, Ryan Gosling's character is tracking down because he, he had a lot of emotion and he like was a sympathetic character. Okay, but sure. I I agree with you. Other than that, like I do I do I I see where you're coming from, um, in that it's not the most soulful of movies. It doesn't make you like feel for the characters. Um, Dune is different. Dune is is the the kind of movie that you hope to get when you're going with high concept sci-fi. It's got all the the big and crazy stuff, but also the human stories that you can relate to and that draw you in. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I feel like Dune just has like this like obvious angle of spectacle. There's just like so much just like gorgeous shots of like weird sand town and also like other planets um which is like impressive like good for dune um but like also i i feel like all the characters you're sort of emotionally invested in like and you know that's not like really the norm like i do feel like you're invested in basically the entirety of house atreides like i you know i i feel like you don't want any of them to lose um yeah um which is not you know like three years ago i don't know that you would have felt that way about a movie with you know like i feel like there was a time where like the movies would not have cared to make you be invested in all of house atreides you know yeah. it would have been like oh you know you might care about paul but that's it like <laughs> Yeah, this time it's you, interesting. You really do care about all of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting the way the movie gets you to care, like both about the the individual characters and also like the greater forces at work mm-hmm. throughout this. Like House Atreides is not just a family or a group of people; it represents a certain force coming to this planet. Um, the the Dune is set on the desert planet of Arrakis, and mm-hmm. What's unique about this planet is like it's a place where people want to harvest spice, which is mm-hmm. both a fuel used for interstellar travel and some sort of psychedelic drug. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very unique combination. Um, but like they, they sort of lay out. And what I really like about this is the way that the, the film is able to lay out like the history of the planet and like all the stuff that's, that's taking place there while still moving things along and not like having you sit down and listen to an hour of exposition. Um, But they, you know, they go through like the history of it and like the different forces that have occupied and colonized this land and like house Atreides sort of represents like kind of a compromise between like the old way of purely exploitative mining of this. And like they're here to like, get the spice but to do it in like maybe a more respectful way maybe not to be as terrible as the previous people who were here mm-hmm. but it, it's interesting the way that like that's that's positioned as like what they're doing why they're here and like you you have to understand like all the political forces at work their their relationship with like the galactic emperor or whatever um and then like, but then like below all that, you're brought down to like the very human level. Like what is, what is Paul going through? How is he, what does he <laughs> want? What is he experiencing on this planet? 
um it's it's very interesting because it's such a big story that's being told here right and like dune is like i remember trying to read this book when i was like i don't know 10 years old or something and being like there's a lot going on here i can't do yeah (laughs) but it's very interesting how the film manages to condense that down and make it still feel like a big story but also one that you can understand and it's approachable but yeah i mean over like that that part is really great for me like just what an epic story it is obviously this movie has a lot of really good visuals um god yeah i mean if you can see this on the biggest screen available you should you know like yeah yeah the sound's really good the the images are really good this is a like this is what the theaters are made for this is something you really should see in a theater if you have any option of course Um, because it's not going to be the same experience at home obviously i mean there's a lot going on here otherwise you know story-wise and character-wise that can be enjoyed just as well at home but Mm -hmm. this is an epic story with epic visuals and sounds (laughs) i mean the big screen is where it belongs yes yes i agree with that i don't want to delve too much into the plot in detail because it's far too complicated for us to cover yeah yes but i feel like that's yeah i feel like that's right let's just talk (laughs) about like some of the moments and some of the performances that we thought stood out the most um Obviously, Timothy Chalamet as uh, Paul Atreides is the, you know, the big star of the movie. I thought he did a great job. Always loves some Timmy. Um, He he has a very interesting role here. And he's like, uh, he has to, he's trying to like find himself over the course of this movie and he's sort of becoming increasingly aware of the fact that he has like a sort of a dark, sinister destiny ahead of him. Yeah. Um, through like these, like these visions that he's had, and like people uh, keep like telling him that he has like this great destiny, but the things that he sees are are not not well, they're great in a terrible way, shall we right. say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's right. I think great in a terrible way is, is a good way to explain, like, all of the visions he's having this whole movie. Um, and that's, like, a, a significant chunk of the movie is, is he's having these, right? And even when you don't mm-hmm. see him having them, it's like he's waking up from one. Um, so that's, like, its whole... That's like its whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the visions are are a big part of what like sort of gives you a little insight into his character, what he's seeing, why he's making decisions. He's coming from the place of being like a very, he you know he's being groomed to take over House Atreides, but he's not sure if that's what he wants. And I I kind of like so uh, Oscar Isaac plays his dad in this, and I really like their relationship, their interplay in this movie. It's very interesting because he expresses to his dad this feeling that he's like, I don't know that I want to take this over. And his dad's like, you know, that's okay. Like I 
didn't I felt the same way when I was your age. Either you'll feel like it's your time to step up or you won't. And like, that's your choice, mm. which is, you know, kind of refreshing, kind of nice. Um, and they, they have a very interesting kind of relationship in that they're somewhat, you know, like for, for a Royal family, they're somewhat off put from your typical, um, uh, father, son relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, he's more of someone like being introduced to a role that they're going to be taking on someday rather than a son, mm-hmm. but they, they do have some genuine warmth at times between them. And then on the other side of things, you've got uh, his mother, who is like part of. <laughs> we're getting into this like part of like some sort of cult. Well, <laughs> uh, really, like she's part of like some sort of secret order of like highly religious people who like they, you know, they can c- control things with their mind. You can speak with a certain voice to control people, mm-hmm. um, which she's been training him to do, which ends up being very important in a certain scene in this movie. Um, <laughs> but that's very, so like the, the character of Paul Trades is, is, is very interesting because he has both like that influence of being raised in a big, powerful family uh, by a father who's, you know, grooming him to be, the leader of this big family one day and also you know has the mother who's like part of this very secretive cult-like uh order that has magical powers of some sort and who like has a prophecy of this one singular person coming up one day who can like control the entire universe and there's some sense that it might be paul himself who fulfills that prophecy. But yeah, so he's got a lot of influences here, like making him who he is. And you can see him sort of like struggling and like figuring out who he is over the course of the movie. And also the events of the movie shaping who he is and who he's going to be. The general flow of this movie, there's, um, there's a, a several very good action scenes in this. Um, there the House of Trades has to fight off um actions by House Harkonnen, <laughs> who were the people who um previously been mining the spice on the planet, and they have this brilliant assassination plot for um Oscar Isaac's character, the House of the the head of House of Trades. Um, but there's this great scene where he, (laughs) he has like a poison tooth that he uses to like kill a whole bunch of them. Um, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie when you got to just like bite down on that and kill a whole bunch of people all at once. There's a lot of great desert fights. They have these weird helicopters that have wings like dragonflies that somehow like make total sense in this world, despite being the most nonsensical aircraft I've ever seen. Um, They, they work, they make sense. We should mention that the cast in this movie is just 
like the most insane cast that's ever been assembled. So we've already mentioned Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac are in this. Also, Rebecca Ferguson is the one who plays his mother, who previously has um, been in Doctor Sleep and also played Jenny Lynn in The Greatest uh. Showman, <laughs> which ties her in very well to the Buzz on Movies verse. Um, also, yeah, Josh Brolin was also in this, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Batista, Zendaya is in this, another Greatest uh. Showman alum. <laughs> this is basically Greatest Showman in the Desert. Charlotte Rampling was in this. Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem. Oof. It's a big cast of heavy hitters. Yeah. <laughs> what of of the many great action scenes in this movie? What what do you think was your favorite? My favorite scene in this movie. I mean, I don't want to talk about like the the scene where like the the stupid Harkonnens attack like the whole like pyramid complex i feel like that's like the obvious answer yeah um yeah there's a big um, scene there there's a lot going on but there's a lot but, of other but i do feel like that's done. also like a very good sequence i feel like that's like done really well i feel like there's a lot of like good elements in that um mm-hmm. i do i do love this scene where like they like do like the like they're doing like a tour of just like you know the 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 spice harvesting and mm-hmm. um yeah. there's like the 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 worm is attacking like the spice harvesting just like machine um i really like that scene i like the scene um i like what it shows about like you know oscar isaac's character where he's like we're gonna go rescue our people anyway we're just gonna go in and do yeah. it um, you know, I really like that scene. I, I feel like that's a really good scene. Um, so that was probably one of my more, that was probably one of my favorite sort of like action oriented sequences. It's kind of hard to say because I feel like a lot of this movie, like you'll say like, what's your favorite action sequence? But like, there weren't really a lot of sequences that were just like action moments i mean this was like a very strange sci-fi action movie i would not say it was like your normal like the home movie was just sci-fi action moments oh Um. yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting because it does have like so many big action set pieces and yet that's still not like the main focus of the movie no it still manages to feel like very slow and subdued at times yeah, I, th- I do think that is interesting. Cause, and, and I think that's how a lot of people are sort of thinking about this movie. They're thinking about it as, like, slow and subdued. And it's sort of like, that's such a weird... I don't know, like, when I was watching this movie, I definitely didn't think of it that way. Um, um, so it is an yeah. interesting... Just, like, the difference in how people are thinking of this movie is kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean... Like they, there are people who say like it's like, oh, I don't want to watch that. Like I don't want to watch two and a half hours of Timothy Chalamet like brooding in the desert. But it's like that's 
that's not what's going on here. No. There is there's a lot of exciting action that takes place, first of all. But also, like, it's not like this movie is, like, heavily philosophical in, like, a, a tedious kind of way. I mean, no. it is philosophical in a way, but in a way that's constantly moved forward by the plot and by everything that's happening. Um, characters moving around, different things happening. Um, the one thing that is constant about this movie is that it's always in motion. There's all sorts of different vibes that the movie takes on at different times, but it's always moving forward. There's not a lot of just straightforward dwelling on things for a long time. No, there's not. I, I would feel like that's true. Yeah. I feel like that's what makes it most exciting is that it it's, you know, it's a sci-fi movie that's willing to get a little spiritual, a little, you know, out there and crazy, not just be, you know, people shooting at spaceships or whatever. <laughs> but also at the same time, it's not trying to be like way more heady than it has to be. It It's keeping it in the realm of the physical for the most part. For sure. And when it does, you know, when it does go into like visions and like psychic powers and stuff, it's just like brief glimpses of that stuff that's sort of teasing stuff that we might see later on, which, you know, just makes you more excited for the next installment. And we have been approved for a Dune 2 already. So yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that now. Huh. Yeah, it's very fun. But, um, yeah, I highly encourage people to check this out. This is still showing most places around the country. It's a big hit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one literally of... got to be the vast majority of places still. So, no, it's one of the better movies I've seen this year. It's just it's so it's a refreshing kind of blockbuster. It's the sort yes. of movie that I feel like should be gracing the big screen and running up the big box office numbers yeah, and yeah for once that's what's happening it's great to <laughs> see um anything else you want to cover before we close out for the night um about dune no just that i'm super excited for the sequel i feel like dune was really great i want to know what's coming next you know yeah it's exciting. I mean, like the people were definitely justifiably concerned as to whether we get a sequel. And then when the sequel is announced, people were like, well, of course they're doing a sequel. It's like, well, you don't have, you don't understand. <laughs> like well, so many the, times the, the we've people seen who are swatching the people who, uh, yeah, those people don't matter. Let's just leave it. <laughs> like that's just, like just a, a sort of ridiculous. You know, and there are a lot of those people who just like have like a ridiculous approach, but it's like, okay, we can do better. <laughs> There's been so many times that like, you know, a big high concept sci-fi movie like this has happened and has not been very successful and has not had a follow up even when there was, you know, more material ready to be adapted. Um, it's happened quite a bit. And so understandably people who like that kind of thing uh -huh. were 
were like, oh, they're going to make more? Because obviously, you know, <laughs> Dune is a whole saga. There's more story to be told from the get go. You can't even approach telling it all in one movie. So people are like, oh, are they going to do it? And, you know, we we've we've done the work. <laughs> the the box the box office piper has been paid and Dune 2 will be coming out. So hmm. looking forward to that. It's going to be very interesting. Again, you know, I haven't read these books. I might have to get on them because I definitely yeah. like the movie. But um, they're not easy reads, but no. it seems like a very interesting universe. And the people the people who like Dune, oh, my God, they <laughs> fucking love Dune. Yeah, it's one of those things that like, you know, people are really into it. So I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave you with that for tonight. Okay. And um, until next time, we'll still be out there watching all the new releases. If there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you have anything else you want to talk to us about, you can reach out to us. We're at we're buzzed on movies at gmail.com for email. And you can hit us up on Twitter at buzzed on movies. We're on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google podcasts. <laughs> if you like what we're doing, leave us a review, please. Reviews always help us get boosted up somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how any of this works. Um, and until next time, We'll see you at the movies. We will see you at the movies.